Good morning, everyone. It's good to see so many people here today supporting each other in their practice. The title of this talk is Embracing Uncertainty. And where I got the idea from is um, on my news app on my smartphone last week. You might have seen it. There was an um, article there about um, uh, anxiety and uncertainty in the age of the smartphone. Uh -huh. And what it was talking about was how people these days, when they have a, an experience of uncertainty, I presume, around relationships, you know, wanting to know whether people like them or approve of them and looking for the next email or the next text, um, becomes a way of trying to deal with uncertainty, emotional uncertainty, and it's becoming a, um, what should we say, a sort of a, um, uh, an unhelpful way that people have of actually managing their emotions. And what it does is that it doesn't build resilience. But if you run the ruler over it of some of our Buddhist psychology, um, what it what that's all about, that sort of needing to look at where the next text is coming from or the next Instagram or the next Facebook, you know, response is aversion and grasping. You know, we have a, an aversion to and fear of uncertainty and what the next moment might bring, particularly from other people. And so we grasp, you know, pick up the phone, pick up the phone, see what's next, see what's next. Mm -hmm. and, um, and it doesn't help, you know, in terms of actually, um, you know, building a resilient self. And as the, um, the author of this, uh, of this uh, piece said, she's a Daniel, Daniel Einstein from Sydney and Macquarie University, I presume she's a psychologist, is that there is a short-term benefit from actually comes from looking at your phone and being reassured, but the long-term benefit is negative, like drugs. It's kind of like a drug. There's a a craving and, and an addictive quality there. And what she encourages is that we actually embrace uncertainty, right? That uncertainty is a good thing. And the more that we can actually just sit with uncertainty, um, the more we can actually enjoy uncertainty rather than see it as something to fear and to loathe and to have an aversion to. Now, in reflecting on this, um, it set off a whole cascade of ideas that uncertainty's been around for ages, right? Maybe 5,000 years, 10,000 years. And okay, smartphones might be a very quick way of dealing with it, but people have dealt with uncertainty in various different ways for, for centuries upon centuries. And religion is one way of doing it. Religion is kind of like in spiritual insurance. You know, if I believe in these certain beliefs and I do these certain things and and um, participate in these kind of rituals, then I'll go to heaven, right? I'll go to some afterlife. So it's always been there. Mm -hmm. and, um, and people do it in various ways, sacrificing to the gods, etc., etc. But it's all to deal with doing, dealing with uncertainty. What is life about? What is death? What happens after you die? What is right? What is wrong? What's the meaning of life? Mm -hmm. And it's so much easier if someone can tell you, oh, well, this is what it is, then you don't have to think about it. And then you don't have to deal with your own uncertainty because it's just right. Mm -hmm. And even in a modern age, um, we see 
um, science as being um, science is kind of our religion in a way, in many ways. It's good science and bad science. But good science embraces uncertainty and bad science just sort of um, skims over the difficult issues as a way of trying to create certainty. Like you take things like the Big Bang Theory, or the, the way the universe started, the Big Bang Theory, okay, we all know that now. But then people ask pesky questions like, yeah, what happened before the Big Bang? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, they're, they're kind of, kind of like scientific dogmatism. It's the Big Bang Theory, you know, it's like all that uncertainty about where the universe started. Oh, we've, we've done that, we've done that now. Big Bang Theory, good, okay. Another one is um, that you're getting in my profession and in neuroscience, as you have neuroscientists saying, well, what, you know, what is consciousness? Well, consciousness is probably just something that happens when you get enough um, brain cells interacting with one another and it's a kind of an epiphenomena. And if we just keep studying the brain long enough, we'll realise that's what it is. We don't know, right? It's grasping at uncertainty grasping at certainty, I mean, uh, when we really don't know. And when you look at, say, um, the study of philosophy, even though it's an intellectual pursuit, um, philosophy is not for the faint-hearted. You study philosophy and you have to let go of all your certainties, you need to suspend all of your judgments and what you think is right and wrong, and you have to enter the realm of not knowing. And the ability that you can actually stay in that intellectual sense of unknowing is what makes a great philosopher. Mm-hmm. And one of the greatest philosophers of all time was Socrates. And um, Socrates was this apparently very ugly little old man <coughs> dressed in rags. And he was a real nuisance. He just used to sort of sit around in the marketplace and you'd see these aristocratic, well-educated young men who seemed to be very knowledgeable. And he'd come up to them and he'd ask pesky questions to them. Like, what, what's your view of what's right? Or what's the good life? Or what is beautiful? You know, what happens after you die? Or what's the best political system to have? And they'd sprout their views. And then he'd start to question them, you know, probing questions with what's called a Socratic dialogue. And he'd tie them up in contradictions until they realised that they didn't actually know what they were talking about. <laughs> right. And, um, and he was known to say that, um, that not knowing is the highest form of wisdom. So actually he was doing something that was kind of similar to a Zen process. He was challenging people's uncertainty until they actually gave up their, their illusion of certainty and actually rested in not knowing. Mm-hmm. And so that same process um, happens in, in Zen as well. Now, one of the also cousins of uncertainty, or one of the forms that it takes, is not just in the area of knowledge, like science or philosophy or the meaning of life, but also in relationships. And one definition I came across years ago, which stuck in my mind as a definition of emotional maturity, is the ability to hold opposite feelings towards the same person. Mm -hmm. Um, In other words, to be able to hold ambivalence. Because in an immature mind, someone's either good or bad, or you love them or you hate them. But 
when we're in relationships with family members or partners or children or friends, they're people that we love, and yet there's things about them we can dislike at the same time. And so it's that ability to hold all of that together, actually, and all the uncertainty and ambivalence that comes with it and, and rest in that is what brings a sense of maturity. But what is immature is this person's either good or bad, you know, either hate them or I love them. Mm-hmm. It's all black and white thinking. There's no, there's no colours of the spectrum that come into it whatsoever. So that's another way that we deal with uncertainty. Now in Zen training, Zen is a practice that embraces uncertainty, that embraces doubt. And while philosophy does it in an intellectual way, um, Zen does it, well, it challenges philosophy as well. Um, But it challenges our our whole um, attempt, in a sense, to make sense of our life. Mm -hmm. Because what is often primary in people's lives uh, whether they're well-educated or not so well-educated, whatever, most people, what's predominant is actually trying to make sense of their experience, whether it's through psychology, philosophy, religion, spirituality, whatever. A lot of books are sold on it. Um, we're primarily often trying to make sense of our experience, and then we can have a sense of certainty, oh yeah, it's this, you know. And if you can have a sense of certainty about it, then you can predict what's going to happen in the future and you can control things. Right? But really, the Zen approach to life is primarily to just experience it as it is. Right? Se- it's a secondary thing that you could make sense of it, right? but that's not the primary thing. It's just experiencing, like I said in, the, in, in this morning when we started, it's just sitting there and not knowing anything but the present moment. You're not even trying to make sense of the present moment. It's just, you're just experiencing it fully. Right? That, that's the essence of Zen training. Yes, you could make sense of it. There's Buddhist philosophy and analytic theories and so on, of what we think and so on. But that's really, that's not the main issue here. And it's important to really, to really recognise that. Hakuen, who was... Um, one of the great Zen teachers of Japan said, in terms of embracing the great doubt, if you doubt fully, you will fully awaken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just follow your doubt through all the way completely, embrace your doubt, and it'll turn around. Uh-huh. And Cohen study, that's, that's the whole point of Cohen study, you go into the doubt, the doubt of Mu or whatever Cohen it might be. You doubt and doubt and doubt until something pops, right? It's almost you got sick of trying to make sense of anything. It just kind of pops. And then, then you fall into intimacy. One of the great little stories in a koan is about a, a monk who travelled for thousands of miles to see a famous teacher. And when he got there, the teacher said, why do you travel thousands of miles over rivers and valleys and mountains and deserts to come here? And it struck the monk <coughs> quite um, stunned, stunned by the question. He said, oh, I don't know. And the teacher replied, not knowing is most intimate. Not knowing is most intimate. 
If someone could give a more literal answer to that question, I came to see a great teacher and to learn the Dharma and become enlightened, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. And the, and the teacher validated that, that experience. To be able to just, just sit in that experience. So the great antidote in Zen to uncertainty and embracing uncertainty is don't know mind. Mm -hmm. A famous saying by Sansanin, who was a, a Korean Zen teacher, it was very funny. He used to repeat it all the time. Every talk he gave, don't know mind, don't know mind. Mm -hmm. It's the ability to actually embrace that don't know mind and to really settle into that, that, that don't know mind and enjoy it is what really transforms our experience of life in many, many ways. And um, as I said before, if you dwell in that don't know mind, you don't have a great need to predict the future or to control the future. You just let it unfold as it unfolds. The uncertainty is usually about the future, not about present moment experience. There's a lovely story, Zen story, which is about a teacher called Bird's Nest Roshi. And Bird's Nest Roshi used to live in a tree and meditate in a tree, in a tree house high, high up in a tree. And one day a um, man came along underneath him to question him. And this man was a famous politician and statesman of the day and a practicing Zen Buddhist and also very worldly wise at the same time. And he said his opening gambit when he opened the conversation with Birdness Roshi was, um, you look very unstable up there, up in that tree. To which Birdness Roshi replied, you look very unstable down there on the ground. Uh -huh. Especially in this world of politics, uh -huh. everything changes all the time. It's, full of games and manipulation. You look very unstable down there in this impermanent, transient world. And so then the, um, the uh, politician asked another question. What is the essential teaching of the Buddha? And Bersnes Roshi said, Always do good, never do evil. Thus all the Buddhas taught, quoting from the scripture. And, um, and the politician said, well, a three-year-old child could have told me that. To which Birdness Roshi replied, Yes, a three-year-old child could tell you that, but not even an 80-year-old man can put it into practice. Mm -hmm. So there he is, bringing things back to simplicity. Here's someone who thinks he knows everything, you know, and knows everything about Zen, and in usual Zen teacher style, pulls the carpet out from underneath him, like Socrates, in a sense. Actually, you don't know anything, and it's all quite simple. It's about create, you know, going back and creating or living in a child's simplicity and wonder of life is where you'll find awakening. So, there's uncertainty around the big questions in life, like what happens after you die, what is right or wrong, how do you love, what's the meaning of life, and so on. But there's also the little day-to-day -day stuff um, around uncertainty as well. And in reflecting on it, I can think of three areas of our life. 
where we experience uncertainty and have anxiety around uncertainty. One is around skills or competence, like am I good enough at doing what I do or what I want to do, and all the doubts and uncertainty that comes up around that. Or do I really know what I think I know? And perhaps that the deeper one is, do I know that I'm really loved or not? You know, by the people who are, who are closest to me. And we can play these things out in various different ways. And we do it by seeking reassurance in various kind of ways, avoiding grasping at things. And it plays itself out in our everyday lives more than we perhaps would like to recognise. Um, but it's there. And it's that ability to just stay with that uncertainty and, and embrace the uncertainty around those, those things in our everyday life is where you start to really cook in your practice, right? Cooking in your own juice. Comment, the saying I like to use a lot. Um, and then, you know, you do that, you, it, it's simply a matter of first of all acknowledging the uncertainty and going towards it you know, approaching the anxiety rather than trying to push it away or do something to get rid of it. See, trying to get rid of an anxiety, trying to get rid of an uncertainty is really a kind of craving. It's just another form of grasping and aversion that doesn't really work for us. And it's kind of like a drug. The more we can get out of that grasping at certainty, you know, the more our lives start to become more fulfilling. Um, so one of the things I've said before in previous talks is that um, Zen practice is the art of being a happy idiot, right? without knowing anything in particular, it's just being a happy idiot. Mm -hmm. and, and what you realise is that um, life is a mystery to be lived. Life is not a problem to be solved. That's that's the shift that turns around. And to end end with, you know, um, um, a very old, very Australian saying, which we should embrace and and, and live with more, is, "Bugger if I know, mate." <laughs> <laughs> So please, as you practice for the rest of the day, as I said in this morning, all you need to do is sit there and be intimately present with the present moment and don't try to make sense of anything. Don't try to make sense of life, don't try to make sense of yourself or which thoughts are coming up or whatever. Just return to the mystery of the present moment and that's where you'll find your joy. Thank you.